Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Amen. Well, tonight in our 150 chapters on the end times, uh, we're doing something a little different. Uh, Tonight, I've entitled a little different. It's called Genesis Overview of the Land Covenant. You know, what in the world is that? Well, in this series, we've been looking at chapters that are uh, primarily the chapter as a whole would be about the end times. And there's a ton of them. There's like 150, right? Well, we've finished up our New Testament chapters uh, with the exception of the book of Revelation, which I just decided we'll do last because we just got done doing 115 sessions on Revelation. And I told you, I said, I'm not really sure what order we're going to go in. We'll just kind of do it. We'll get them all done eventually. Well, we've, we've gone through all the rest of the, uh, the New Testament chapters except Revelation. So now we've got no place else to be but Old Testament. So we're going to be spending the next like 100 sessions in the Old Testament. And there's something foundational that happens related to the end time storyline. I mean, deeply related to the end time storyline. Something that happens in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, but it doesn't neatly, cleanly happen in chapter form. So we've been doing these chapters, right? Well, there's this really important subject that is deeply related to eschatology that happens in the first book of the Bible. God's kind of introducing the storyline and he's saying, listen, this is an important detail, but he, he didn't make it nice and neat and make it all happen in Genesis chapter you know, 25 or something. There's a little here and a little here and a little here. So I feel like for us to spend the next however many sessions in the Old Testament with so many references to this subject matter, so many references, so many things that are dependent on this subject matter, I just feel like we can't rightly go forward and study all those passages without giving at least a little bit of attention to this very important end time reality, but it does break our neat little chapter plan. So I'm I'm openly telling you we are breaking the rules of which I was the one that set the rules, you know? I'm a rule breaker. So at least this session, we're going to pivot and try to lay a foundation Now, I will tell you what I decided to do was to not make it so chaotic. I thought, let's just stick with Genesis. This subject that we're going to look at tonight is found, I mean, in so many passages. I I don't know that you could count them all. We're just going to look at the main passages in the book of Genesis that relate to the subject of God making a land covenant with Israel, okay? We're going to look at these passages in Genesis, and so you're just going to kind of pretend with me tonight that it's all in one chapter. So just, you know, kind of trick yourself for a moment. I've got the Bible references. It's not all one chapter, but just go with it because I think it's really going to help set us up for success, a better clarity moving forward into all the other sessions that we're going to be doing uh, on the subject of the end times. Okay, so here's a little bit of the background. Um, I told you here in letter A that there are many passages on this subject. Again, the subject is God making a land covenant with Israel. That's the subject. There are many passages. But there aren't 
chapters where it's like the whole chapter. I mean, maybe there's one, I just haven't found it, but I wasn't really looking for it. That's, there's not really chapters about this subject. It's just kind of mentioned here and there and, and significant portions of the passages. But we're going to stick with the major passages in Genesis. And at probably not every reference in Genesis, but some of the major passages, okay, in Genesis, in order to help form our understanding that God was always thinking about the end from the beginning. He was always doing it. So we're going to pick on the beginning book, Genesis, and we're going to look at this subject that has great end time uh, connection. We don't normally associate, when you're just kind of thinking about end time subjects, you're like, you know, the judgments in the book of Revelation, and you know, there's going to be deception. Brad always tells us there's going to be deception. We're tired of hearing about it. Um, you know, and you know, and then there's going to be some crazy characters like the Antichrist, and there's this thing called the Harlot Babylon, and you know, there's going to be some of those kinds of things. We don't normally in that list include God is going to make good on his land covenant with Israel. We don't normally think that as one of our, you know, list of things that we're thinking about uh, in, uh, in uh, end time fulfillment. But that's a bit of a Gentile perspective issue. Because if you are holding to the teachings of the scripture, and especially from a Jewish perspective, you're thinking way more about that promise than you are the Judgments of the book of Revelation, which, I mean, if, if you're not Messianic Jewish, you're, you're Hasidic, you're holding to, you know, uh, Torah and the Old Testament only, you're not, you don't even have Revelation on your list of end times things, but you are thinking the Messiah is going to come back and get us our land. And so that is actually a pretty significant subject, and it's just one that we don't often talk about, think about, uh, but again, I just, I couldn't march forward into a hundred chapters uh, in the Old Testament without spending some time on this subject. So the idea really is an eschatological idea. And, and if that's a big word, it just means study of the end times, okay? Eschatology, the study of the end times. So uh, big detail that matters here, letter C, this is widely unfulfilled. The passages, promises, prophecies that we're going to look at today they have had some partial fulfillments. They've seen some seasons where a good portion of the land belonged to Israel. Never all of it that's been prophesied. But there's, there's a significant, especially in this hour now, there is a significant difference between what dirt has been promised to Israel and what dirt belongs to Israel right now and truly, what dirt has ever belonged to Israel? I mean, even at the, the greatest point of expansion, doesn't touch the, the boundary lines of which Israel has been promised. Not to the fullness. And so, that's an interesting thing, because as we study eschatology, as we study prophecy, as we study Bible prophecy, we want to look at the word, and we go, did that happen actually? Whatever the, the prophecy says. Did it happen not just did it happen, but did it happen fully, whatever the concept? And if the answer isn't yes and yes with a clear yes, then it is yet a future prophecy. And I'm not saying that there haven't been partial fulfillments and pieces of it, but if it hasn't happened in fullness, God is not confused when he uses words. It's all going to happen exactly like he said. 
regardless of present circumstances. You just look at the present circumstances and you look at the plot of land that God promised and like, Lord, you're going to have to show yourself strong because there's a, there's a whole lot of political mess and war promised for sure between what is currently in 2024 and what has been promised in your Bible. <clears throat> this is going to be challenging. And we just, we've got to be a people that we look at the word, we go, let the word of God be true and every man a liar. That we look at the Bible and we go, that's the fact. And God doesn't need any help like shaving down the sharp edges or, or you know, going, oh, well, he really only meant half of that. Or, well, he didn't really mean what he said. He, he kind of just meant, you know, the spirit of what he said. God doesn't need our help. We want to be a people. This is what faith is. It's believing against all natural circumstance. We want to be a people that look at what the word says and we go, that's the truth. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know that he will. I think about the John 14, 12 passage that gets prayed around here a lot. I mean, I know I pray it a lot. John 14, 12 says that anyone who has faith in me will do the works I've been doing and even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. These are the words of Jesus. Now, no human being that we know of has done greater miracles than Jesus, and especially not with any sort of sustained reality. Maybe one person one time did one thing that could arguably be said was greater than the things that Jesus did, but not they walked in it. Nobody's ever done that. So here we have 2,000 years of history that say to us, well, John 14, 12, Hasn't happened, therefore it can't happen. Hasn't happened is real. Therefore it can't happen is the enemy knocking at the door, trying to get so in seeds of doubt to bring into question the validity of the Bible. It's going to happen exactly like he said. It just hasn't happened yet. But we got a bunch of those Bible verses that have said things are going to happen and they haven't happened yet. That's the excitement of a global prayer movement. We're finally going to get to see this stuff happen. There'll be more people praying in the final generation than all of human history combined. And we're going to usher in the however many thousand prophecies, I don't know the real number, that haven't happened yet. We're going to see them happen. And this is no different. Just thinking about that whole, you know, believing, but, or rather uh, trying to change what the Word of God says, because circumstances seem to deem otherwise. There were so many theologians, and I don't, I'm not mad at them. I can only imagine how hard it would have been to be in, in their uh, shoes. But before 1948, it had been nearly 2,000 years since Israel had a sovereign nation, had any dirt over there. So for a good long while, theologians were saying, well, those promises about the land they must have already happened. The promises about Israel actually being a, a, a nation in the, in the storyline of human history, that's just past. We don't know what to do with that. So there were so many that were downgrading the word of God. I mean, you got a lot of commentaries and theologians that were online. And then, boom, 1948, all of a sudden, out of seemingly out of nowhere in human history, there once again is a nation of Israel. 
It's one of the most astounding things that's ever happened in human history. It is unbelievable. It's never happened before that a, com- a community of people, a nation, a people group, with their, nas- or with their language, has sustained their national identity for more than some few number of generations. Never happened before. And here we've got, they hadn't been on the scene with national, you know, uh, 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 ability, national land, national government, national, all the national things that make a nation a nation. Those things had been suspended for 2,000 years. And boom, it happened. I'm just wanting us to recognize that was the Lord in his kindness in the generation leading right up to the end to give all of us a wake-up call. God can do whatever he darn well pleases. And he will. And when he says things in the Bible, we trust that they are real and true despite what our eyes tell us. Okay, top of page two, we're now going to look at some of these promises, okay? And you're going to hear the same language over and over again. Some of that uh, I think is really helpful for us because if this is an idea that's kind of new, I don't mean that there's such a thing as the promised land. I don't mean that, you know, we've never heard that before or that we're unclear that God deeded territory to Israel. I think everybody probably knows that. I mean, if we're unfamiliar with how important that is to the end time storyline, if that's an idea that we're not connecting the dots on, then I think it's good that we hear it over and over again. And since we probably won't be spending more sessions this heavy on this subject, we'll just pound it over and over here. Okay. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 7. I'm going to be reading here quite a few passages. Uh, Page 2. This is about the offspring of Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, I think we're familiar with this passage, but I'm not positive we ever connected the dots that one of the most important passages related to like the history of our faith is Abraham being called out of the land that he knew, called to a land that he didn't. I don't know that we were ever really connecting the idea that that important Genesis passage, that Genesis 12 moment of God saying to Abraham, Abram, come up out of this land and go to a place I will show you was actually the first reference, at least that I'm aware of, in clarity that God is going to be giving property to the nation of Israel, to the descendants of Abraham. We know that's the passage where Abraham got called out, where the the start of our faith really began in a a fresh way with Abraham as the father, you know, father Abraham, the the father of, of, uh, of our faith, it, in that same passage, God promises this dirt to Abraham and his descendants. It's this reference to this land covenant. And it's in the passage that Abraham's getting his calling out and being set apart in order to become the father of many nations and for all nations to be blessed. 
Like I know we know that, but connect those dots. That this most important passage that we're aware of is actually dealing with eschatology. Because this is, de- this is Abram being promised this, this property, okay, this land. All right? Well, God outlines the parameters of the land. And I pulled a couple of passages here. Uh, one in Genesis 13, then I also uh, stole a, a couple of verses from Genesis 15 because it helps really clearly. <clears throat> you go, okay, well, where is this land? What, what are the parameters of it? The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and south and east and west. Now remember, he was called to Canaan. So he's in Canaan. That's where he is. And God says to him, look around, north, south, east, west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. That's a really big word. That is very different than buy some property and at some point later it'll be somebody else's and that'll be the end of it. Forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Wow, okay, so this is Canaan. We're just told north, south, east, west. That doesn't give us specific boundaries, but it gives us kind of an idea. Genesis 15, to your descendants, I will give this land. What land? From the Wadi of Egypt. If you look in any of your study Bibles or whatever, you can find that. It's about the most northeastern boundary of Egypt. I mean, it is the most northeastern boundary. It's a, it's a, a river is the easiest way uh, to, to talk about it in a sentence. He says, to the great river, that is the Euphrates, the land of, and he lists off a bunch of the Canaanite people that are living in that uh, area and, and surrounding. And he, he describes this. So here we're starting to get some boundary lines. Just so you know, the land of the Wadi of Egypt all the way up to the Euphrates, that has never been possessed by Israel. Not that entire territory, not that entire area as possession of Israel. I mean, there's been certain kings that stretched a little bit far this way, and then, and then the next one would stretch a little bit this way, but then they lost some territory over here. But that is a significant amount of dirt to be occupied. I mean, it's a lot of dirt. It is way bigger than the current footprint of Israel right now. That hasn't happened. But it's gonna, because it's in the Bible. And, and God tells Abraham, he says, go walk it. <laughs> He says, go walk this. I'm going to give this to your descendants. And then he gives them even more parameters and makes some pretty wide boundary lines from north uh, east to southwest. It's pretty significant. And God gives the land to Abraham with a sign. Now, this is an interesting passage. When you understand the sign... You know, signs are supposed to point to something, right? We're all clear on that? That's what a sign is. So you see a sign, and it says, one way, dummy, don't go left. You know, it's, it's this sign, one way, and it's pointing this direction. And you'd better heed that because it's clear instructions so that you can understand what things are going on and how to pay attention. The sign has to be clear enough for you to be able to interpret what it says and then pay attention to its meaning and heed its meaning, okay? That's what signs do. Well, 
It's really interesting the way this thing goes because Abraham is having a conversation with God about the dirt. He's, this is a big conversation. This subject of God, Abraham, and dirt is a really significant part of Abraham's relationship with God. He talks to God about this dirt a lot, okay? For a lot of reasons. First reason was, what dirt am I going to? You're calling me, where do I go? You just said, start going. What dirt am I going to? It's like, okay, great, this dirt. Well, what do I do with this dirt? God says, I'm going to give you all this dirt. He's like, okay, well, what do I do? He says, go walk it. Go walk the dirt? Yeah, go walk the dirt. I'm going to give this to all of your, your descendants. Well, there's a lot of dirt. This is, wow. How many descendants am I going to have? So many you can't count them. They're going to fill up the dirt. I mean, there's a lot of conversation between God, Abraham, and dirt, okay? All right, so here's the sign. <clears throat> this is Genesis chapter 15, 14 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, talking about uh, Ishmael. It says, but a son who, wait, yeah. Um, but a son who, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the servant, I, I'm not Ishmael, that's later. Um, says, this man uh, will not be your, your heir. So this is uh, the servant um, son. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. Abraham, or Abram believed, and the Lord credited to him his righteousness. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Okay, so here we've got Abram in this real crisis moment, okay? He's not been able to have a son, okay? He's gotten his, uh, his uh, servant's, uh, or his, his wife's servant. He's had a child, so it is Ishmael. And he's now trying to figure out, okay, so is this going to be the, the lineage from which you uh, give me all these blessings? And God says, no, I know that's what looks most natural to you. I want you to believe for something crazier. He says, because that's my plan. And he says, oh, okay, I believe you. So it's credited to him as righteousness. Then the Lord said to him, oh, oh and, and, and so Abram says, okay, God, I believe, but what's the sign? He says, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? You're telling me this? It's a big risk for me. It's a big ask. Uh, he, he says, I, I can't get my head fully around it. I believe you, but are you willing to give me a sign? And God says, in essence, this is such an important subject. I'm going to give you the biggest, wildest sign ever. Okay, what is it? The Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. <laughs> if you're Abraham, you're kind of mad at this point. I asked you for a sign. For me! For me! And God's like, it's for you. And also all the ones that are going to inherit the land, it's not like you're going to be around here on the earth for that part. 
I mean, you're going to be good long and gone by the time we get to them actually getting the land. We'll, we'll talk about the whole resurrection thing later. But you're going to be good and gone. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you what you need. The testimony of 400 years of Israel being enslaved to a nation not their own. You just imagine Abraham's like, you are full of bad news. I asked you for a sign. I was like hoping you'd make the moon, you know, twinkle or something. Make it turn a weird color. You know, be rainbow for a minute. Cool, moon, you know. And God's like, I got the sign. And this sign for everyone for human history who's paying attention will be the most obvious, overt, impossible sign. Your descendants will become a nation and will be enslaved in another nation. We know it's Egypt now. <clears throat> and they'll be there for 400 years. And when 400 years is up, they won't be there anymore. Oh my gosh, this is a 400-year-long sign. You know, when it gets to 400 years and a month, everybody's going to freak out and be like, Where, what? Wait, <laughs> what about the sign? 400 years and they come up out of Egypt. It is one of the greatest signs in human history, and it was God. And God said, this is how you, who's the you at this point? It's not really Abraham, because he tells him at the end of it, he says, you're going to be laid to bed or to rest with your generations or your descendants. You're going to be dead. I'm going to lay you to rest. This will be for the, your descendants, but they will come back here. He points to the dirt. They will come back to this land. And Abraham is getting this promise and says, you, well, who is the you? The you is actually the rest of those that would be of the faith of Abraham throughout all the generations. So for the generations leading up to that 400 years being uh, eclipsed, being over, it's them looking forward and they're going 400 year countdown. We're 100 years in, we're 200 years in, we're 300 years in. Then for everybody after, it's looking back and go, oh my gosh, he did what he said. A 400 year sign about what? The promise of the land covenant. <laughs> God says, this land covenant is so important. <laughs> I'm going to do a 400-year sign to prove to everybody front end fulfillment of it and after for 2,000, well, no, more than that, for thousands of years. I'm going to prove to everybody, I'm going to give you that land, Abraham. This land covenant is a significant thing in God's heart. It's really important to him. And it's everlasting. Look at this. This everlasting thing, just if you have any other questions, everlasting means everlasting. This has not happened yet. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I, God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. I am the Lord. Walk before me and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you uh, between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. This is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Your name will be Abraham. So this is where his name changes. 
We know him as Abraham. He was Abram to begin with. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. An everlasting covenant for all the generations. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. What else is in this covenant? The whole land of Canaan I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. That has not happened yet. For something to be everlasting means once it starts, it doesn't break. I'm not saying that Israel hasn't had possession of some of this territory or even at some point the whole land of what could be considered Canaan. But this prophecy hasn't happened yet or God broke his promise because it has to happen where they get the land and it never is not their land ever again. It's always their land from that point forward forever. That hasn't happened because, I mean, we even look at things right now. I mean, right now is a really good picture of them not having the fullness of this land. This is a promise that God is making. I am going to make an everlasting covenant with you, and it has a lot to do with this piece of real estate over in the Middle East. It says it's going to be yours everlasting. For the generations to come, the whole land of Canaan, I'll give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. <clears throat> I'll be their God. And God, <clears throat> then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. Every male among you shall be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. As for your wife, Sarai, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, and I'll bless her. And will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. You'll call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Now, another one of those passages that I just want us to get, get clarity on. I know we're all familiar with the passage of when Abraham got his name changed. We're all probably familiar with the story of Abraham's really old wife being promised she's going to have a baby and I'm going to bless the whole planet through that baby. We're clear on that storyline. Are we also clear on the storyline that God is using this occasion in this moment to talk about the dirt again? It says this is a dirt covenant. I promise you this land Abraham, I promise it to your descendants. He says the whole issue of circumcision is actually connected to my promise. I'm going to give you this dirt. It's an everlasting covenant related to the dirt. It's like, I just don't think that too many of us were thinking in relationship to the sign of circumcision. I think we were mostly thinking of it as a way that God distinguished his people from everybody else. Mostly thought of circumcision as a way of showing honor and reverence to God. Mostly thought of a way of dedicating the children you know, to the Lord. All that's true, but that's not the focus. The focus is the dirt. 
this dirt is really important to God. He's like, the whole earth is mine, but I have set aside the parameters of this piece of property for Israel. Take possession of their cities, the cities of their enemies. Look at this. <clears throat> this is really intense. I mean, God gets really intense about this because there were already people living in this land. It's not like this, that this is unoccupied territory. And God, furthermore, when he's talking about this whole everlasting covenant, he knows how the next thousands of years are going to play out. He's really keen on that. He knows. And this is what he says. He says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, bottom of page three, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make this, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is really, really intense. I mean, this, this is all sorts of politically incorrect. This just really is intense. God says, and I'll get to what it's about in a minute because it's really important, but God says, you've just done something. You've just been willing to do something. You've connected to my heart in such a deep way. Abraham, I'm not just going to give you the land I'm going to let them build cities and you're going to go take possession of cities you didn't build. Whoa. Well, that's a really big win for Israel. It's a real problem for the other guys. And God even identifies, here's a really big one, the cities of your enemies. <laughs> you look at the map right now, it's really intense. The majority of this promised dirt belongs to Muslims. I mean, it's really, really intense. And the covenant that God gives about the dirt, he says, I promise you even some of the cities that others built. That's going to get really, just for those of you who are tracking, and if you're, if you're like, I don't really know what you're talking about right now, Brad, then just dismiss this part. It's going to get really tricky related to all the ways that the judgments are going to hit the Middle East because there have to be some cities left to deed over to Israel. But cities are going to be in short number, short order, because of all the judgments that are going to be happening. But there have to be some <laughs> because God promised Israel cities of their enemies. And it's not a city if it's demolished and it's not a city anymore. So that's just an interesting piece of the way that some of this is going to play out here at the end. Okay. All right. Well, what is it all about? I want you to read with me. It's going to sound almost the exact same. The passage that we just read was Genesis 22, 15 through 18. Now we're skipping a few chapters. It's Genesis 26, 1 through 4. It reads very much the same, except with the beginning line, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, 
your only son. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. All nations on earth weren't blessed when Israel took over the land of Canaan the first round. That, that didn't even happen a little bit. So while there, there's partial fulfillment, they did take over the land. All the nations of the world weren't blessed because it's through Jesus that they'll be blessed. It wasn't just through the occupation of the land that if, if Israel has the land, then everybody on the planet's in a good mood. That's not real. But when Jesus is in charge of the planet then there's a very different story. So what's going on here? Can you see the emotions of God? Just, I mean, remember, you're emotional and you got that from somebody. Like you didn't evolve from fish. That's not real. You were made in the image of God, an emotional being. God's emotional. Do you read the emotion here? Can you just imagine? That it says this, the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a second time to say the same phrases, these same intimate phrases again to him. He says, I cannot believe you withheld your one and only son. What's going on in the mind of God? He knows he's going to have to do it. The father in, in heaven knows the time is coming. I just imagine as he's sending this angel, he's looking at Jesus Christ. The father is looking at his one and only son. He's going, I'm going to have to sacrifice him like I asked Abraham to do with his son Isaac that he was born in his old age. All the promises rest on, on this kid. Everything, everything that God has said, it's supposed to come through Isaac. How can he sacrifice Isaac? Then he's got nothing. <clears throat> he says he didn't withhold him. He says, I just imagine God going, you are my friend. You understand the fellowship of my sufferings like no one does. <clears throat> I got to say it to you again. I'm going to say it a second time. You and your descendants will inherit the cities of their enemies in the territory that I'm promising you because you have not withheld your son, your only son. I can't believe you did this, Abraham. You did this for me. I am on your team, buddy. And I will see to it that everything I have in my heart for you will happen exactly like it is written. This is a very emotional thing. And it's about the dirt. <laughs> He's talking to him about the dirt again. This land covenant is a really, really big deal. And remember, Genesis. We're in book one. He's setting the stage for the plan. This hasn't happened yet. None of this has happened. This is end time stuff. None of this dirt stuff has happened yet. Not in its fullness, but it will. And you just imagine the emotional God that's making this covenant in Genesis. He's carrying the same emotions today. He's still thinking about that dirt. 
When he looks at that dirt and all the trouble and all the news stories, when he looks at that, he sees that's, that's Abraham's property. And he looks over at Abraham, I'm going to get you that dirt. That is yours, I promise. Like I promised. I'm going to get you that dirt. And it was credited to Abraham as righteousness because he believed it. <sighs> well, what happens next? God tells Jacob about the dirt. Okay? So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is generation three. Okay? This is now where God is revealing directly to Jacob about the dirt. Now, had his dad, Isaac, told him about it? I would assume so. But whether he had or not, God is now telling Jacob, like, whether you heard it from Pa or Grandpa or not, I am telling you straight up, I want you to have the revelation. Jacob, I want you to understand, I am going to give you guys this dirt. It is a land covenant says, okay, we're probably familiar with Jacob's Ladder. It's probably a thing you've heard about. I mean, it was, I was at a charismatic conference this weekend or this week. They definitely were singing about Jacob's Ladder. <clears throat> and so, you know, they're, we're familiar with the concept. Are we familiar with the concept being related to the dirt? Because it's about the dirt. Let's read it. Jacob stepped, uh, stopped for the night because the sun had set. He lay down to sleep. Now, this is Jacob. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's Gen 3. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. The, the Jacob Slatter, the angels ascending and descending. What's going on here? We know this. It's this crazy passage. It's a portal between heaven and earth. The beautiful reality of God touching earth. What's it about? It's about the dirt. God is making the promise to Jacob. It's about the dirt. It says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Another one of those little ominous promises. I'll bring you back to this land. It's like, well, no, I'm here now. What do you mean bring back? Oh, yeah, there's, there's going to be actually a lot of that. There's, there's going to be some waves. This, this is a big deal. One of the most fascinating pieces of the end time storyline, which we'll touch on when we get to certain passages that deal with it head on, is all the Gentiles bringing Jewish people by the arm back to Israel. Bringing them back. Now that doesn't happen, and really there's a lot of reasons why it's maybe not the best plan for that all to happen until after Jesus takes over the planet. Because that's the only time it's safe to do that. And so the Gentiles are going to go, we know the plan now. God wants to give the dirt back <laughs> to the people. It's not enough that the Jewish people all over the earth are going to go, yeah, we've got some dirt way over there, but we never see it. God's going to, no, no. 
Dirt for you, you for it. Come. And all, every Gentile that loves me, go get them. I'm like, I'm going to go get me some Jews and bring them to the dirt. It's a big piece of the end time storyline. There's a lot about it. It's a pretty, uh, it's a fascinating idea. This is now the third generation that's being told about this dirt covenant, and I will bring you back is pretty intense, okay? Let's read another passage. We've got a few more here to go. <coughs> this is now Genesis 35, 9 through 12, bottom of page 4. After Jacob returned from Padanaram, God appeared to him, and he blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. We're real familiar with this passage, right? We, we know this is the moment. I mean, it's because we call it Israel. We don't very frequently refer to it as the nation of Jacob. I mean, there's a couple passages, the generation of Jacob. But we, we refer to it as the nation of Israel because God said your name is now Israel. This is the moment where Jacob is being named by God Israel. Did you know that the naming, the name change was about the dirt? Because it's about the dirt. Here it is. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and to Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants after you. God says, hey, Jacob, I'm changing your name to Israel, and let me tell you what it's all about. I'm going to bless you and your descendants so that you'll be a big old nation and that you'll live on this piece of property. That's why I'm doing it. And Jacob, I want you to remember I am, your, I am your God and I'm changing your name and it's related to this dirt covenant. Okay, but that's exactly what happened when God changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. It was about the dirt. God is changing the names of the fathers of the faith all the way back, Abraham and Jacob. He changed their names. It wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't just, hey, I think you need a new name. It was related to, I will bless you and give you this piece of property, and I will give you enough fruitfulness. It's going to make sense for you to inherit this piece of property because you're going to be so fruitful, there's going to be a bajillion of you, and you're going to need a place to live. The name changes of Abraham, Sarah, and Jacob are all about the land covenant. This is a really big deal. God really cares about this. And now, generation four. We just did generation three with Jacob, but Jacob has sons. And he has a son, Joseph. And so now look at what God does as Jacob tells Joseph about the dirt. Generation four, gener this is Genesis 48. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me, and he said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful I'm going to increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. It's really intense. He's, this is Jacob on his way out. This is, these are some of the final words. And he's saying this to Joseph because he's going, Joseph, it's really important that we understand this. 
God has it in his heart. He's made it really big. He's giving a 400-year sign so that everybody in human history would understand the ramifications of God making a covenant about property to Israel, which has not yet in 2024 been fulfilled. It hasn't happened yet. Meaning, it must happen. It will happen. God is not a liar. He didn't do a 400-year sign so he could go, oh, you know what? The people got too strong. I can't pull it off now. Gosh, all those people that are mad at Israel, I, I can't do it. He will make good on his promise. Okay? Well, now let's talk directly about eschatology. Let's go end times. Okay? If all that is true, which I hope at this point we're like, I mean, we read the same phrases a hundred times, right? It's true. It's real. It's going to happen. If that's true, what else does that mean? Well, it means that disruptive global events must take place. Disruptive. Because right now, that isn't going to happen. There is not going to be any natural way for Israel to wind up in control of the whole parameters of the territory that have been promised to them. That is not going to happen. Unless the Lord gets involved, he goes, oh, no, no, I'm going to get involved. Let me tell you how I'm going to get involved. I invented this thing called the end times. It's all about getting the dirt back to Israel. I'm going to get the dirt back to Israel. I'm going to have a lot of things going on. I'm going to have a lot of people participating. But you want to know what the prayer movement's about? It's about getting the dirt back to Israel. You want to know about what the bride of Christ is about? It's about partnership in God's purposes, which greatly include getting the dirt back to Israel. It's like, this is a really big thing. He says, I'm going to send some serious disruptions. And so I'm reading you now the words of Jesus, who is as Jewish as it gets, and he knows his doctrine well. He knows the Old, the Old Testament. He knows the land promise. And he says this, I just imagine him putting himself in the shoes of his father when asked, what will be the sign that you're going to give me this dirt? Because the guys are now going, what will be the sign of these things happening? And it's really, it's the same question. And he says, well, <laughs> tell us when this will happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. And Jesus answered, you're going to hear of wars. My, my father is going to cause wars. And you're going to hear rumors of wars. All this must happen. You're going to hear of nations rising against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. There's going to be famines and earthquakes. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. All of these are part of my father transitioning things to make good on the land covenant he made with Abraham at the beginning. That's not all that's going on, but it is a significant piece, and it's a significant piece we're not giving much thought to. That the end times are centric around Israel and God's purposes to get Israel in the right position for God, for, for his purposes for eternity. And specifically the dirt, Israel the people and Israel the dirt. He is going to use the end times to reshape and reform. Look at this, Isaiah 2 verse 3. This is what God's plan is. I mean, 
I hope we know this. I think we do. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. This is talking about when Jesus is ruling in Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom after the great tribulation. After all the bad stuff has happened, after God has used the Gentiles to bring the Jews back to Israel, after the, the territory of Israel is redeeded, it's, it's now the possession of Israel, and Jesus is ruling from there, it says, many peoples from all across the earth, they will come to Jerusalem. They'll go, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Why? To the temple of the Lord, uh, to the God of Jacob. What are we going to do when we get to the temple? We're going to learn from him. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. There's coming a time where Jesus is going to be ruling in that dirt. The dirt doesn't belong mostly to Abraham. It belongs mostly to Jesus. Jesus owns the whole earth, but Jesus will have this, this most clear leadership over the nation and territory of Israel because that's where he will be. He will rule from that dirt. So God's like, well, my son needs to lead the planet. He needs a piece of property. I'm going to promise this piece of property all the way back thousands of years ago to the guy that I'm going to use to start all of this, Abraham. But it's about Jesus ruling and reigning. God puts Israel at the center of the end time drama and therefore Israel at the center of the last generation. One of the reasons that these sorts of ideas have not been so familiar to us, it wasn't really time yet. I mean, we're getting there. I mean, the last generation could have made it through and not known these things, and it still would have worked for them because it wasn't time it didn't happen. But if we're living in the last generation, and I believe we are, we've only got some number of decades left. I don't know how many. We need to know this stuff because God is making Israel at the center of the last generation, the purposes of God for the last generation. So it's like, well, I don't really know a lot about Israel. I don't really think much about Israel. God does. God's thinking a lot about Israel. God's thinking a lot about this dirt promise he made. God's thinking a lot about, where's my son going to hang out on a Tuesday? That dirt that I promised to Abraham, Jesus' descendant, or you know, vice versa. Father Abraham, God thinks a lot about this. This current generation that we're living in, God has on his mind the plans for Israel. And most of the earth right now, secular or believing, the body of Christ, is not thinking about what does God want to do with Israel in this generation? And God is thinking a lot about it. Furthermore, Jesus is thinking a tremendous lot about it because of this uh, passage here, Matthew 23, 37 through 39. This is Jesus giving one of the, the promises of how things are going to play out. He says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together. This is the Father speaking. I mean, this is, it's Jesus with the Father's heart. But we need, to, we need to be looking at this far less as Jesus who just walked around for 33 years on earth. We need to be looking about this as God from eternity past going, Oh, I have longed for you 
I have longed for you for generations. It's been my desire. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you'll not see me again until you Jewish people in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, until you Jewish people with your mouth say these words and hold this in your heart. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Speaking about Jesus at his second coming. He says, I'm not coming back here until you invite me back in with your lips. And Jesus very much wants this to happen. And this is going to happen. The whole generation right now doesn't realize how important Israel is to this generation, to God, and to the the future, to what's going to actually occur. The end times play out for Israel's sake. Look at this passage in Ezekiel 20, verse 34. Worship leader, you can come on up. I will bring you from the nations. Here's one of those passages I was telling you about. I will bring you from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with outpoured wrath. That's a pretty good description of the end time drama. I mean, if you needed just a a verse to encapsulate the book of Revelation, (laughs) you might just camp out with that phrase, a mighty hand of God, an outstretched arm, and God doing wrath stuff. And God says, that's how I'm going to get you back into the land of Israel. I'm going to get you back into the dirt, which I promised you, this land covenant, I'm really big about it. I'm going to do the wildest things that the earth has ever seen to get you into the dirt. And the last time I did anything even comparable was to get you out of Egypt to get you to the dirt. God does the biggest things he's ever done related to Israel and that piece of real estate. This is a really big subject to him. And when he comes, he will rule and reign and the earth will be under his leadership, but specifically the territory of Israel in the most specific sense. Specifically, he will have that territory. It will be called Israel. He will lead from there. There will be no piece of property that's been promised to Israel that will be outside of that territory. All of it that has been promised will be the rule of Jesus in Israel, and from there he'll rule the earth. Here's my hope tonight. I recognize it's been a little bit different. For some of you, it's like, I don't even know I've ever thought about this stuff. I don't even know if I like this or if I believe this. Just go read it again. Just keep reading it. You don't need to believe me. Just go read the verses. Come to your own conclusion. But it was pretty pretty clear. Go read the verses. Here's the point. If this is on God's heart this much, which I think you just look at all the verses and go, okay, it's, it's a big subject to him. At key moments in Israel's history, this has been a really big subject. What does that mean related to the end times? Because God is going to flip the script on planet Earth right now Because right now, the story on earth right now doesn't look anything like any of what we just read. I mean, it's not even on the radar. It's unfathomable that Israel could wind up being a nation uncontested, the size that's being described, and be ruling the earth. What would have to happen? The end times would. 
Specifically, God's outstretched arm and God's wrath ushering in the reestablishment of the fullness of what God has promised to the nation of Israel in their dirt. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.